0: What's up everyone and welcome to the Long Game Podcast hosted by Thomas Koppelman and Trey DeVore. In each episode, you'll hear us break down financial topics that are relevant to the lives of millennials and other young professionals. Our goal is to help bring credible financial information to you in short bite-sized episodes.
1: Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore are the co-founders and financial planners at All Street Wealth. All opinions expressed by Thomas and Trayton are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of All Street Wealth. This podcast is for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It should not be considered advice. Please consult with your financial advisor, tax, legal, and any other advisors you have before making any decisions regarding your financial plan. Welcome back to another episode of The Crossroads. And for listeners, welcome back to the Long Game Podcast. This week, we are joined by Odero Asweeney, who's another young financial planner. And today, we're going to be diving into some equity comp and just managing money in today's world. But we appreciate you joining us. And before we get started, if you wouldn't mind um, giving listeners just a little background on who you are and
2: how you got to where you are today. Absolutely. Well, this is very exciting to... Actually, on Y'all's podcast, uh, for those that don't know, I think for about, like a, what was it, like a year? We would probably meet like every every Friday, so it's, uh, yeah, it's yeah. good being able to um, chop it up again. But a uh, little background about myself, grew up in Houston, Texas, Nigerian-American, uh, went to Texas Tech University, where I studied personal financial planning. Um, from there, kind of grew my desire for um, really just expressing myself with the things that I was really passionate about, which was financial planning. So... Um, that then led to starting my internship at Plane Corp, which then led to a full-time opportunity, um, which I now serve as a senior financial planner, um, work with a lot of people in the tech industry, but then additionally work with um, a lot of traditional retirees, I guess you can say. Um, but I have really spent the first year of my career working with a lot of people in the tech space. So um, as we're going to talk about today, uh, focusing on a lot of equity comp, but outside of that, um, just have my website no money Mo problems where I have a few articles or a few of my own blog posts and then my podcast no money Mo problems podcast and um yeah all that good jazz so love
0: that name for one two so you're also a dj you've done you know a conference you might do another conference what is your dj name do you have like D- <laughs> or like something financial related if you're gonna do the conference
2: oh uh, that's funny no no <laughs> No, I don't have a I don't have a finance related DJ name, but my DJ name though. is just just DJ Darrow. Just keep it simple, you oh, know. Yeah. But maybe maybe advisor by day, DJ by night. I don't know. Maybe that should be like a tagline. Yeah,
0: that, you should have a website. <laughs> that should be the tagline. But cool, man. So I think like the first place to start. Um, well, I wrote a thread yesterday, and like it was talking about like what separates the wealthy from the non wealthy, and the first point was that they focus on equity. And I think that's like the best place to start here is Just like, why is equity so important? And what are even like the different types of equity? And you don't have to go like RSUs and you know, non-qualified stock options, stock options, just like equity and private, public, like those different types of things. What should people be striving for?
2: Yeah. Um, as my as my man DeSarte always says, equity is really key. Um, I think that. Uh, I don't want to ramble on this, but I I do think that you can see a clear distinction between um, I would say like really just wealth in our country and um, you know, the ownership that people have, i.e. equity, Um, because whenever you start getting, you know, those business distributions or you really start to have more even leverage um, just in the sense of ownership, I think that it not only provides flexibility, but then also it creates really good income. So I would say, uh, yeah, I think everyone should strive for a sense of equity, um, even if it's not in their own company, if it's like a side hustle or if it's, um, you know, their what I would probably call their financial independence and, you know, starting up a small business. um, Because like I like I would say, once again, it's just really the flexibility, but then also the potential income with
0: it. Yeah, I think equity is an interesting viewpoint. I think some people view equity as like I own my own business and then other people view equity as like hey, I work at Salesforce, Salesforce has an ESPP plan or another, you know, another company that has RSUs, like that is also equity. But I think like, if you think about the hierarchy of, you know, the gold mine of equity, the smaller, the better. I mean, the, the risk is higher, like for us, like Trayton and I, we own our own business. We each own 50%, like they're if, if we're starting out at zero. If we build this business to be worth $10 million, like that private equity, like for us can be life-changing. And then the, the more you go up, it changes. I, I think those like pre IPO companies are, you know, also really the gold mine might even be better than something like us. And then you go to publicly traded companies and it's like, okay, yeah, you have Amazon, some of these other companies that have 10 X over a period of time. But a lot of publicly traded companies, I, I think sometimes people think that that equity can be life-changing, but I, I always use IBM as the example. Like IBM is this awesome company, right? Their, their stock has traded sideways for five years. And mm-hmm. so like there are different types of equity and I don't know if the right idea is pursue any equity, but I mean, what do you think about that?
2: Yeah. And funny that you said IBM always tell people whenever it even comes to their own company's equity comp, I'm pretty sure if I'm not mistaken, I think it was like over the eighties um, IBM had the, um, the highest, the highest trading stock in the whole stock market. And it's funny that you even added that, Um, You know, now for five years, their stock price has really just been lateral. So it really just shows that, you know, your company can be killing it. But for the next 30 years, which 30 years really isn't that long, if you think about, you know, individuals retirement or think about individuals working life. But to answer your question, what do I think about what you said? I I agree. I think sometimes people forget, um, you know, I would say inside of your own neighborhood, if you were to look at some of the more wealthy individuals, they're probably small business owners. Like they're not just guys who, you know, work at the biggest law firm or individuals who, you know, work at the biggest CPA. And even those individuals who work at large, uh, you know, law firms or CPA firms who end up, you know, I guess you can say forced retired or whatever it is, what do they do? They go and start a small business. Um, so I, I think that that individuals forget the, uh, the potential um, of not only income, but additionally, like flexibility, like so many people love to, um, I don't want to just say complain, but a lot of a lot of people love to, uh, you know, talk about some of the annoyances of working in a corporate America. Um, But in life, there's always trade offs. So if you don't want to have to deal with that manager, you know, I guess you can say just I don't know about the right, breathing down your neck, I guess you can say. Um, you might as well just deal with clients breathing down your neck because you'll always have a boss. It'll just it'll just look a little bit different. You'll always be working for someone, I guess you can say. It. But I do think that more people should really uh look into the uh, the world of like small business ownership because it does far more than I think people can ever imagine.
0: Yeah, I think that I think the premise here too that is important for people to understand is that like you can be a great employee, but you can't I mean, okay, let's without equity, you can't really build serious wealth. I mean, the income is solely a time constraint. I, I think I was listening to a Naval podcast, and he was just talking about like early on in your life, when you don't really have a skill set, the only way you can really make money is your primary job. But then as you focus on one, two, probably one or two areas and become really good at it, you end up having too many opportunities for time. So it's not that making the money is the constraint it's that time stops you from making money is the constraint but where equity comes into play is now i can grow my money without having to spend any additional time to do that and i think that's like the base layer that i mean we all understand and i think a lot of people who grew up with families that you know went through this life but people who have never Like their parents never had equity. That wasn't something that's taught to them. I don't think they truly understand why that is so important and how time can be the constraint. Like if your parents were somebody that, you know, they only work salary jobs, they made money and the life was okay. You're like, Mm -hmm. well, that's fine. But I've never heard of anybody being able to make money from their money without spending any time.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think a really good example of that, something that I experienced myself. So whenever I started DJing in college, um, really one of my bigger avenues of DJing was weddings. Like I I got a lot of weddings rather than just, you know, DJing at bar scenes, which it worked out really well because it was a, you know, a good payment um, for a, you know, select amount of time and also it was a really a good amount of publicity. But whenever I moved to St. Louis um, there was like a wedding agency that reached out to me and, you know, they were talking about how much they would like pay for each wedding And I think it was like 30% of what I originally make on my own. Yeah. Um, And it really just shows, you know, what, what ends up and don't get me wrong. Like, it's not like they're a bad company. They're just a company. They have to run a business. Like it is a business at the end of the day. So the amount that they would be willing to pay me or any other DJs is obviously um, going to be substantially um, smaller, but, Yeah. And also it's the flexibility. Like I want to be able to create my own schedule. So with something like DJing, it's, you know, I guess you can say the DJ business that I've built, which I don't even know if I would like to call it a business, I think is, you know, really a good example of the trade-offs that you can have whenever you actually own something. It's yours. No one can tell you what you can and cannot do. And additionally, you know, I'm the one who has to deal with the revenue that is and is not coming in um, for DJing, which is in some ways a good thing. Yeah. And and before you mentioned
1: um, just kind of like trade-offs and I'm curious to get your thoughts on the difference between like building, building wealth with concentration and then like diversification just kind of preserves wealth. Like, have you seen that with kind of like your client base and just younger investors in general, like they're having maybe more success with like going concentrated, like maybe starting their own business or just investing all in maybe their company stock or something like just curious to kind of get your thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, I think a lot. Once again, I think this is partially like a trade-off conversation because I think um, a lot of this is in relation to where your financial independence is. So, you know, for the individual who's 50, um, has, you know, worked at a accounting firm for the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years of their life. Or a partner you know they've made millions or a lot of money you know it's going to look a lot different for them to then establish that company on their own because it's not as much of a risky investment I guess you can say as in comparison to someone who's 25 you know graduated from school does not have as mu- as much of experience probably has student loans um, it's going to be a little bit more of a financial risk initially um, on the front end but I don't think that that's a bad thing I think it's just a decision that people have to make. And additionally, I would say that it's a it's really an indicator of risk tolerance. And I think that a lot of people don't realize how risk adverse, you know, the common person is, even the person who says that they're, you know, extremely um, willing to or if they're willing to take upon a lot of risk. I would say go start your own company. But a lot of people don't. (laughs) We really like those paychecks. You know, (laughs) that that biweekly paycheck feels really nice. Um, So, yeah.
0: I think it's interesting because Trayton, that's such a good question that I want to get to too, because I think like the traditional financial planner also like traditional financial planner, right. Works with people in their sixties and like concentration, like that is not the time to be concentrated. So they always pull up like 5% is the highest you should have in a single investment max of 20. But like, I, for one, that's a compliance thing. Like I don't want to get in trouble because I'm letting people hold on to too much, but like, I really struggle with that for younger clients because. I you know I have, I have a new client. They're about six million net worth, and about twenty five percent of their net worth is in Amazon. They both work there. They both get RSUs. They both were investing there ahead of time, and that's what the Amazon down what like isn't it like down like almost ninety percent right now. So in mm-hmm. a normal period of time, their net worth is about forty percent Amazon, and this is where you wrestle with it. Of like, Amazon's a great company. You're thirty five. Like you're not trying to retire early, your incomes, you're like able to invest 30 to 40% of your income as is. If I'm that person, I don't think I'm really diversifying out. What, what we ended up agreeing on, and I think what you have to do with people is like, well, how do you feel about this? Understand the risks. Like if this goes to zero, what would happen? I mean, we, we test this, they would be fine. Amazon's not going to zero. I mean, not, not guaranteeing investment results, but you know, to me, that seems far-fetched. And so the agreement was, we're not going to sell any, but we're not going to hold on to any new equity that vests either. So we'll sell all new equity. We'll stay here. Here's the number we're willing to let it go to as it gets above. We'll diversify and move elsewhere. But I think like that's the really important part of the equity compensation conversation is like, okay, well, what is okay for us to do? And also, like, what would I do? Because I hate that financial planners tell you what the textbook answer to do is versus like okay, if you're in their shoes, would you hold on to Amazon? To be honest, I would, I I would. And so like, I feel like it's also my duty to say, here's the risks, here's what textbook says, here's what I would do. Let's figure out what you would do as those blend of those three. But that's hard for people who don't have a planner because they have no idea how to view those conversations.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. And I think what you're displaying is really what some advisors fail to recognize is that you're their personal financial planner. You know, like you really just have to take the individual into um, consideration because if you know that the person is one bullish on their company, which is not a bad thing, that is not an inherently bad thing. Like you should work for a company that you believe in, like, you know, Gosh. if otherwise, then maybe we should start asking other questions and maybe adjusting this plan for you to like do something else. But I completely agree. Like, I, I don't think that we should, uh, which I think it, this is a really difficult thing, but I think for a lot of advisors we really do take our own um, biases and we apply them onto our clients. And um, and I think once again, like being a, being a child of an immigrant or being a child of immigrant parents, like I saw that a lot um, starting out, like uh, some of this advice is maybe tailored towards your traditional, you know, white picket feds family, but it's like all families don't work in this one traditional way or all people don't work in one traditional way of just, you know, wanting to have that 60, 40, um, split <laughs> inside of their investment account. So I completely agree with you, Thomas.
0: Yeah. I think also this is going back like a few more minutes, but you made a really interesting point about when you're talking about DJing, how if you worked for that company, you'd get 30%. And I talk to people about this all the time. So, right. Business ownership, risk. You, you have the risk, you need to be able to survive, but you get the large amount of the compensation and payout. Like as a business owner, Our goal is, yeah, we want to keep the business running. We still want to grow. We want to have profit, but we want to pay ourselves basically as much as we can for the work that we're doing.
2: But then as business
0: owners, you go to these big companies, their job, people hate when I say this, but this is true. Their job is to pay you the least amount they possibly can to keep you there. People are like, well, no, I'm getting paid $300,000. And it's like, I'm not saying you're going to get paid little money. I'm saying they're going to pay you the least amount they possibly can to keep you there. So they might look at every competitor, say the base the highest other place pays you 310, I'm going to pay you 320. But they're not going to pay you 330, 340, 350, 360, 400 even if that's the value they provide because why would they do that? Their job is mm-hmm. we want you to stay here because you're valuable, but we don't want to pay you a single cent above what that would take to keep you there.
2: Yeah, I I might say one of the craziest things that I've ever said on a, <laughs> <clears throat> on a public platform. Uh, but I personally think that I think this would really solve a lot of issues in our country. Uh, but I, I think that older people should just start starting their own businesses. I think that that would really help a lot. And the reason why I say that is because um, once again, I completely agree. Your most com- I mean, it's a business decision. It's it's actually really great business by the business owners for paying right. you the least amount of money that they can because they have to run a business. Um, but I would say that I whenever you look into a lot of these corporations, the people who are making really good money are usually the older individuals who are probably getting business distributions or they have equity in the company. Um, and once again, none of those things are an issue. But considering a lot of those people are already financially independent i think it would be better for those individuals to one go start another company that would create more competition which is in my opinion i think better for the economy and two it will allow younger individuals to get paid what they need to get paid um because I, I just i think with with a lot of with a lot of older people not wanting to just retire because you know like what is retirement really like you're just going to sit around and Drink coffee. Like people love to work, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like people want to have a purpose in life. But I do think the the more that we see older individuals step out of corporate America to start something on their own, one, it will create more opportunities for those younger individuals um, to get paid more. One, but then just more opportunities, and then more competition inside of the economy. So, I well, guess all in all, that's my that's my two cents on on it how to, you know, address the equity well, issue, I guess.
0: I also think more freedom. I think the reason why that point is valuable, like my dad's doing this now, like my dad ended up just getting hired by one of my clients to be an outsource CFO for them. Like, so my That's dad awesome. is a CFO. Yeah, I mean, he still has other job, but he's doing the side because eventually he's like, I'm going to retire, have a side business where, hey, he's been a CFO for 30 years. I'll be an outsource CFO for, you know, whatever number of clients I need to live the life that I want. I'll have all freedom. I can decide when I work, what days off I have, where I work. Like, so I can still live like semi-retired lifestyle, but still have something that gives me purpose and value and all those things. Like, I think that's like a really brilliant idea, and it's a way to give you like that segmented retirement. And the more businesses that are created like that, well, then hey, now my dad has his own little service here. But what if he wants to get new clients? Maybe he could go hire somebody else who started their business that has outsourced marketing, and then somebody else is going to help him. That's like. I help create, you know, train I help creators do financial planning. And then I help creators do, you know, all of the other bookkeeping, whatever those tasks are, like we basically just create, our, everybody has their small little businesses. We specialize in what we do and help solve that problem for them. And then they help us solve our problem. Like to me, that's like a pretty good economy. And there's a lot more freedom in doing that than just being an employee inside of one business on one team doing that thing anyways.
2: Yeah. And I think social media is showing us that. Like, I mean, once again, I think you guys are perfect examples. And this is and I'm not going to actually say any other firms. Uh, but, you know, people know of other financial planning firms like like you can't go through your life and not <laughs> and have not heard of another planning service and literally your bank. You can find a planner in a bank. But whenever you're scrolling down Twitter, which once again, you know, I'm not saying that social media is real life, but it's a part of our lives. Um, and for a lot of us, and, and once uh, I'm, I'm not going to ramble, but once again, like I sometimes get annoyed with people, you know, just dragging, um, I guess you can say the, the fact that a lot of people spend a lot of time on social media, but for someone like myself, like I had my first social media account whenever I was in the third grade, it's just like, this is a part of my life, like it's who I am, I grew up with this, and this is how people want to consume things. So whenever someone wants to find, um, you know, a new service, I don't know about you guys, but a lot of times I find those things on social media. Like I wanted to go to a new esthetician to, you know, go, you know, get a massage or a facial. I found them on Instagram, you know, like I'm not necessarily just going to Google reviews. So, like, I completely agree. Like, it's more of a it's more of a direct relationship, um, in my opinion, because, you know, people want to work with people that they want to work with. I guess you can say they don't want to just work with this big corporation name.
0: Social media has their bad points, obviously, like, for the person who just, like, consumes and doesn't learn, I think social media is probably pretty bad, but for, like, everybody else who uses it to network and grow and create and learn, like, social media can literally be one of the most powerful tools. I wouldn't have had my job at Justin, Triton and I never would have met and created this, we wouldn't have as functioning of a business, like, we wouldn't be in publications. Like there would be all of these things. Like I wouldn't even know half of what I know about finances. Like the amount I consume on social media from other great creators is what yeah. I attribute a lot of my success to. So, I mean, I, I think you're totally right. and It opens doors also just for new business. Um, anything else you want to add on social media? If not, I'm going to switch over that to a no. question. Okay. A uh, question is like, So when when people are evaluating new jobs and like, let's say this is like a skilled worker and they probably have like pretty good opportunities. Do you think it's smart for them to evaluate the company's stock as well when they're evaluating the job? Because I think there's like, it's kind of an interesting thing of like, okay, IBM is the example. Like if I'm going to have a lot of equity comp, but I know my company is one that doesn't really have that great of a stock. Should I then go somewhere else that has less pay and more equity? Because I think a lot of people get caught up with the salary, but at the end of the day, the salary is important, but using part of that salary as a surplus to grow your wealth is what you need to compare of like, how does that compare to this equity that might be that offset of difference?
2: Yeah, I would say, I think it depends, um, which most financial questions usually. (laughs) Fun answer, real fun. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I would say I w- I'll split it into two. I would say if you're if you're young and you have, uh, you know, you have high expenses that are needed, i.e. like debt or student loans, I would say I would worry about a company with good financials. Um, so really just look at which I'm, I'm not sure if this is this is probably too much to ask. For the for the common individual, but I would really just look at the company's financials to see like how the business is actually run, because I think in that situation, the job security is more important. But I think as you're going to that next step, so like, you know, mid level career, early mid level career, I would I would probably lean towards going to a company with um, with a better performing stock because you can. You can really weigh or you can swallow the risk um, associated with, you know, the company stock not performing as well because you've already created a little bit more cushion for yourself. Um, But, yeah, I would say you should evaluate all of those things. I I know my brother recently um, just actually got a really great job at a company that's now pre IPO. um, That's probably going to I would say they're very likely to go public. And I think that was a big consideration. Um, and him actually accepting that position because, you know, you really just can't, you can't pass some of those things up. Yeah.
0: I think those are interesting too, because like the smaller the company, probably the more exposure you get. And you also like having on your resume that like, Hey, I was on a company that went from series B to IPO. Like I learned a lot from it. Here was the value I think is important. But then if you look at like those type of companies, if you viewed it based on the financials, it could be tough. Like if you think of Uber or some of these like really great tech firms, like they were almost never cash flow positive for so many years. And like I think that can be hard. I think it's a really great idea to evaluate based on financials and hope you have a sound company. But then it's like, well, what if you don't have good financials, but you're always fundraising anyways, to get you to the point where you acquire enough customers where then that flip happens?
2: Yeah. I I I think it's once again one of those things that it's just like a trade-off that you have to probably consider yeah. because. I would say for, for, I don't know, really just depending on, you know, the person's upbringing, um, depending, cause I I'll speak for myself, graduating college, I have student loans. Um, my parents are phenomenal, but I knew that they weren't going to really help me with anything. So job security was really important for me. Like, even yeah. if it was maybe a little bit, um, of a smaller salary, I, I think that I just, I needed to know that I was going to get those paychecks because I had things that I had to take care of. Um, but for other individuals, sometimes people are willing to live a little bit more rough. Like, I, I, I really do think that for anyone who does not know Desarte, you should, people should really go listen to his story and his upbringing um, and how he got to where he is. Even after he graduated college, I think I remember him telling me, like, you know, he would door dash, like, constantly, um, like, do so many other side gigs just so that he can put himself in a position um, to, once again, have equity, start his own company. For someone like me, I don't know if this makes me soft, but, but maybe you can say so. But I wasn't willing to do that. Like, I wanted to do other things after work. So I, I really do think that, you know, the opportunities are there. And if it is there, you should take it. Um, because I think that we've seen several stories um, of individuals who started working at a place like Uber, Whereas, a comparison, if they would have just gone to Google, it would not be in the financial position that they're in, like not even close, like they're in different neighborhoods or different sides yeah. of the town, I guess you can say.
0: Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Okay. Well, to wrap up, let's go through three do's and three don'ts of equity comp and I'm putting you on the spot. We didn't prep for this. And if we need to chime in and help you, but I think this is like a, like a good way to add some value for some people like things that you see that people do well and they should prioritize. Then things are like, Ooh, I like people should have thought of this ahead of time or these are like mistakes people can make is like the don'ts.
2: Yeah. Three do's. Ooh. All right. I would say three do's. Three dos and three don'ts. One do, I would say, I'm sorry, you guys, that this is gonna be mad vanilla. Uh, but I would say diversify. Um, I gotta get that one out there. Um, second do is uh, probably I think that once you once you start to receive equity compensation, if your decision is not to immediately sell upon vest, you know, especially if it's you know, or sell upon vest if it's RSUs, sell upon purchase date, if it's ESPP. I would say that that's probably an indicator that you need to consult with a tax um, accountant because once those once those shares vest um, and you decide to hold on to them, I think sometimes people don't realize that you're having to sell lots and it's not like you're just selling a value like just a, you know fifty thousand dollars. I just want to sell twenty five thousand. It's like well you know those vested at different times um, and the basis and the, so I guess all in all what I'm getting at is I really do think that, um, consulting with the, with the CPA would bring a lot of value and even added on top of that, especially if you have ISOs, because that AMT tax will come and get you and you don't want to play with the IRS. Um, the biggest, I don't, you can cut this out if I can't say this, but I always tell people, I'm like, the IRS is the biggest gangster in America. You don't want to play with them. <laughs> um, and uh, third, third do is, uh, what's the, what do I want to, what do I want to say for my third do? I would say third do is take it whenever you like have an opportunity, like, if you have an opportunity to get equity somewhere, I would say eight times out of 10, seven times out of 10, uh, you probably really want to highly consider doing it because yeah. I don't know the downsides of, uh, of having more. Yeah.
0: I, I mean, I can't even think of very many situations you don't like ESPP. If there's a discount, you probably should take it. RSUs, they're giving you. ISOs, like I guess if they're out of the money or or non-qualified if they're out of the money, like, I guess that's different. But I would say on those two, to add to this is plan for it. I think people just assume like, hey, they're going to vest and I'm just going to get them. But it's like, well, if they just vested, and it's going to cost you $25,000 to pay for those and you can't do a cashless exercise, aka you can't like get rid of some of the shares to accumulate those shares. You don't just wish for $25,000 to be able to buy stock. Like you actually do have to plan for it. There are ways to get, you know, use debt to do it or other ways, not that that's probably the right choice. Um, and then to go back to your first one, diversify, when do you feel like diversifying makes sense?
2: Thomas, you're hitting me with some questions, man. Uh, when do I think diver- diversifying makes sense? Oh, I would, say, I'm you're I'm going to say- I, You don't even have to say
0: a percentage either. Like it doesn't have to be that thing, just like things to consider, like this is probably a good point.
2: I really do think diversification I think the diversification matters depending on really your financial independence. And the reason why I say that is, and you, you had a really good tweet about this a couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago, whenever you were really referring to, sometimes people don't understand that and I'm going to butcher it or remix it in my own way, but you have to like graduate to get to some different financial things, I guess you can say. So the same thing that LeBron does with his finances, we have not graduated there yet. Like we're not making millions of dollars. So it's just, it's a really dumb decision to try to form our financial plan the same way that LeBron does. And I think it would be a really dumb decision for me to form my financial plan as in comparison to like a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, you know, even though they might not be LeBron James or the CEO of a small business, successful small business. Like even though they might not be LeBron James, they probably have enough cash or just money on the side to, you know, put into six different private equity ventures, you know, like you just have more flexibility. So I, I would really say like, if you have the flexibility for it, not only within your own income, your spouse, I don't know, you could be married to a doctor. So like, maybe you can take, you can take upon a lot more risk because you know that you already have a paycheck coming in from the other. So I would really just say, it depends on your, your financial um, picture, because if you have the flexibility to take upon more risk, I don't know a lot of times why you wouldn't, <laughs> you know, like it, it really does make sense. Um, but And I think to go on that too, of like
0: if you have such a large position where like you're watching your whole portfolio and it's dropping so much by your one stock that like you're feeling sick or like anxious, that's probably a sign that you have too much in, in one single investment. Um, great. Those are great. Now three don'ts.
2: Ooh, three don'ts. Uh I would say this is a another side of equity that some people probably don't realize. But I would say you know sometimes equity costs, so don't 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 take upon equity one whenever it's too early. Um, So I will give a great example that I think my my mentor gave me. Whenever I was first starting, um, or whenever I was like interviewing for positions as a as an advisor, there was a firm in Austin that I really wanted to go to because I wanted to be in Austin. And it was like a solo practice, solo practitioner. And I was, I saw my mentor, I was like, I can probably get equity super early. And my mentor is a really, really, really uh, smart individual. And he told me, he was like, equity is kind of overrated whenever you're young, because for that equity, I would have to take, I would have, I would have had to take out a business loan, um, Mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy in. Like, it's not like, you know, they were just going to give me the equity. A lot of I, I just think that sometimes people don't realize that sometimes you have to pay for that equity. It's not um, like always oh, just free or it's just given to you like RSUs. You know, um, so that would be the first. Don't. Second, don't. Um, don't sell without 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 consulting a, a tax accountant. A lot of t- like, I just think that you're you're probably just exposing yourself to unnecessary risk. But I would probably add. Don't sell or don't make decisions on um, those shares if um, if it's not. If it's not RSUs or ESPPs, so if it's like ISOs or non-qualified stock options, you really need to talk to a CPA just because there's just there's so much that can go wrong. Like that's that's probably the most direct way that I can put it. Uh, and what's my third don't? I would say a third don't with equity comp is. Uh, oh, man, I think I might have Trump on this one. I gotta give
0: it on. to me. Okay, don't listen to the leaders of your company only about whether you should hold on, because their job, like Theranos, like your founders' job is to speak life into the business and tell you what the best future they're trying to create looks like. And what I find is that a lot of people with equity, they solely believe that's where they're going. They're like, "Hey, next year we're going to IPO. Target price is sixty bucks." Three years from now, the goals were going to be 150, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, I'm going to get so rich!" And I guarantee you, 99 times out of 100, that is not what happens. Like they're trying to get more funding; that's their goal. So I think take it with a grain of salt. Maybe do a little bit of research from people who don't just work in your company before yeah. making decisions about holding on or becoming over concentrated, because that's their job to speak that life in about yeah. business to everybody.
2: I would I would I would add and say that now my third point, <laughs> I'm stealing it from you. <laughs> I would say now my third point is uh, don't be a fan of your company stock. So like and the reason why I say that is, you know, don't become like a sports fan. So the same wow. way that individuals have blinders, you know, um, Yankees fans and I'm sorry, y'all, I don't watch baseball, but Yankees fans, you know, every year they think they're winning the World Series and Lakers fans every year. They think that they're winning the championship. Um, I'm a LeBron fan. so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm a LeBron fan, so I think LeBron's winning a championship every year. But all in all, I just think that you're probably you're, you're just gonna have unrealistic expectations. So just be honest, like like look look at your company's stock price or look at your company's financials from an honest opinion. Like don't look at it as a fan, um, you know, really just fanboying after something, and you know you're only seeing yeah. optimistic um, side of the side of the lens.
0: That's a good one. I have one last do before we go. So do for us, there's other people, like people we know, really good jobs. As you become really skilled, a lot of times you're going to get opportunities to help build. So like I've gotten one in the last couple of weeks where I have an offer to part-time help be a strategic advisor for a company and I will get equity. They offered me, you can choose equity, you can choose compensation, you can choose the mix of the two. Those are opportunities where as long as you are already living comfortably, take equity. Because getting equity at a company that's one, two, three years old and what your role is is helping yeah. The worst thing that you lose is company goes to zero. And think about the valuable insights you learn from helping a, a business try to grow in those first few years. A tech firm for for instance. So for me, it's like the tech fails. Well, maybe I helped them go through funding rounds. And now business owners I work, I can specialize in fintech companies who are trying to raise money. Or and the best thing that happens is you know becomes a really great tech platform. They become a hundred million dollar plus business, and you have your entire future and probably some of your kids' future help covered because you took that risk. And I think there's a lot of times where taking those type of risks makes sense. And thankfully, Justin was huge for me. Mm -hmm. And like, I got a little bit in my mind of like, ooh, but extra pay would be pretty good. And he's like, no, dude, don't even think about that. (laughs) Yeah, you're right, you're right. Like extra pay always sounds good. Having more spending money, more, you know, the now always sounds good. But a lot of times you can create a significantly better future By delaying
2: that and not only caring about compensation. I, there was no way that I was going to come on this podcast and not talk about LeBron James. Um, So as I I tweeted earlier, I I really do. I really do think that LeBron has created a, what I would call the blueprint, the blueprint of uh, wealth for the black community. And I think that was one of the things that I saw that LeBron did, or I think that LeBron has done now, you know, being a billionaire at the age of 37. Was LeBron always got equity? LeBron never, and I think it is a really awesome point to hone in on his story. Um, I don't know who taught him that. I'm sure that he had people around or advisors around to talk to him about it. But like a lot of the deals that LeBron made, he was always focusing on getting equity in those companies. And you yeah. see how it's paid off. Um, like you, you don't see you don't see individuals or you don't see business owners or high income earners. Really chasing after dollar, you know. There, I think more times than not, individuals are trying to get equity because they know that that's where the real wealth is found. Um, in my opinion, so yeah, I completely agree with you, um, Thomas. Yes, yeah, um,
1: I can't believe you didn't mention Drake once. I mean, I guess the podcast <laughs> is not over, so there's still a chance. But like, even like you were saying, like Patrick Mahomes up here, like after he signed that massive contract, like of course he bought a house, whatever. He had a shit ton of money. But he also invested in the Royals um, is I think he got equity in whoop and just so many other things. And then his girlfriend's doing the same thing like she invested. Mm-hmm. in, I think it was like the women's soccer team up here and a couple other companies. And it's just like I, I like that point you made with the blueprint. I think you like tweeted out like the six bullet points. Like if you want to walk through those, that'd be awesome.
2: Yeah. The what were the six bullet points that I that I, I gave for LeBron? There
1: was like master your craft. Yeah, uh, there it is. And there was like give back to the community. Was at the end. I can't remember what like the middle. um like Yeah.
2: To it. Number one was he perfected his craft, which I think really for anyone. I think this is probably a good blueprint of wealth. In one one perfect your craft. Go ahead, Thomas.
0: I'm just saying, perfect one craft. Like I think people try to do too much. Like the people who are really successful and really wealthy master one
2: thing. Yeah, no, completely agree. LeBron is a is a phenomenal basketball player. We just we know that. And that allowed him to then empower his friends. I really do think that that is a really big indicator of your value as an individual. Is like what is how does your community around you look like? Have yeah. you been able to, you know, put other people on or just, you know, connect them with other individuals? LeBron has obviously done that on a bigger scale. Third, got equity instead of cash payouts um fourth was diversified his investments outside of his one area of expertise so it wasn't just all basketball and then fifth was he gave back to his community and the last thing I would say is I I don't know about you guys but I think that you know growing up I've always wanted to save the world or make the world better which I think we all should in some sense but I've given up on that because it's just not realistic at all like I just want to change my community like if I can make um my community look different by the time that I pass or that I leave this world, I think that I've done a good job. And I think if, if more people, um, you know, apply that to their lives, I think that we would see um, so many other great things. Like, I mean, our schools are, well, not all of our schools, but a lot of our schools and the neighborhoods that we grew up in were named after, you know, individuals who were within the community who did a lot of different things. So I think once again, that's really what I would say is the blueprint to a lot of uh, those, I would just say wealth in general.
0: Yeah. I love those. And like, it's really the the way of all athletes, creators, influencers, like the idea is equity. Like, Hey, you want me to show your product? Like give me equity like that. That gives me the incentive to help you build over any dollar amount would. And then I love your point about like, bring others with you because I think like now social media, like think about Twitter. Like I, I post something, somebody else's goal is how can I attack that viewpoint to make it look bad to then uplift me? When in reality, yeah. like the people that we all admire are the ones that move up by bringing like uplifting others. And it's so funny how many people get that wrong and think that yeah. word. it's like, I just see people do that. I'm like, you're not the person I want to follow. Like, yeah. why, why is your goal like to bring you down, to bring my status up and like say that I'm right. And you're, it's just, it's so dumb to me.
2: I want to say this. If you see a financial advisor or two part, one, if you're a financial advisor, please listen. Two, if you're not a financial advisor, please listen. If you see another advisor dragging another advisor because of their planning points, just be be aware of that person and probably stay away because financial planning is so nuanced. Like, oh my gosh, like there are so many nuances. Um, I can literally, and I'm not exaggerating this. I don't care what you say, I can argue it. Like, if it comes to finances. There is a way to argue whatever point someone makes. I just think it's such a waste of time. Um, and really just yeah, I'm I'm not gonna ramble on it because I feel very passionate about that same that same point. But I think that's a great point because like
0: I, I have a client I just met with yesterday and they have some credit card debt and they have some money in their emergency fund. They could easily cover it, still have like three or four thousand dollars in there. And like if I tweeted about that, everybody would say you'd pay off their credit card debt no brainer. These people are never going to pay off that credit card debt because they have such a scarcity mindset about an emergency fund. Like to them, if that number goes below, they're anxious every single night and they're not sleeping. And so it's like, you actually have to adhere to people's feelings more than just what textbook says. And I think exactly people like people who are not financial planners never understand that because they're like, well, I wouldn't do that. And it's like, okay, you wouldn't. And I, and I agree that is the right choice to not do it. But somebody else, like that person might've grown up, their parents might've lost their house. They never had any money in their savings account. And for them, they're running from that at all costs. And they would rather pay an extra thousand dollars of interest on their credit card over a year than deplete that and, and feel that. And that's why that decision could be right for them. And then the other decision can be right for the other person.
2: It's almost like trying to parent someone else's kids. You have no clue who that kid is. Like you can say whatever the textbook answer is, but it's like, I know my kid. Like, I know what my kid needs and I know what my kid does not need. And the same way that you know exactly what your client's needs. And it's like, we're not going to tweet our client's name. Like, hey, this is Bill, age 35, <laughs> <laughs> you know, makes this. And these are all his childhood issues. And this is the reason why I recommend it's like, come on. Like, what do you expect? Like, there's going to be some gray areas um, in any piece of content that anyone makes whenever it comes to finances. Yeah,
0: that's a super good example. I had not really thought about it that way.
2: Well, Darrell, thanks for coming on, man. We really
0: appreciate it. We're excited. Hopefully we're going to be creating another episode with you on your podcast here shortly. So yes. everybody can uh, look out for that. But let everybody know where they can follow you before we head out.
2: Yeah, you can follow me on any social media account. Just type in at Odara Swinney, straight, direct. There's not any, others, oh, there's not any other Odara Swinney out there. Whenever I start getting fake accounts made after me, that's how you know I'm <laughs> to So hopefully uh, we'll deal with that issue soon.
0: Well, cool, man. We really appreciate you coming on and thanks everybody for listening. Please again, rate, subscribe, like, share, do all those good things for us and we will see you back next week.